we have a gene that everybody else is missing, and it's the compassion gene. And it's just not there in so many people. From Nat's Numbers, I'm Nat, and this is the Numerology Chick Podcast. Let's decode the superpowers in your chart and in the people around you to create magic, synchronicity, and empowerment in your life. Hey guys, welcome back. Here we are at episode three. Today I'm interviewing a man who's been many things throughout his 71 years of life, a journalist, newspaper, editor, filmmaker, building inspector, even a fireman. One time he told me a story where he was called out on a job where a blind man was trimming his hedges with a blowtorch. (laughs) He's got some crazy stories. But woven throughout all of his jobs has been his incredible work as a political activist. John Anastasio has lots of wisdom to share with us today, and you might have already guessed it. He is a double nine in numerology, a nine life path, and a nine name number. And you know what? He also happens to be my awesome father. So in this episode, we learn the two things that John says we need to create a better world with that number nine superpower of idealism. One of the keys to being in a relationship as a nine. And you know what? The biggest epiphany for me from this conversation was that nines can actually burn themselves with their impassioned ethics and idealism. John shares some regrets and inspirations around that topic. I hope you guys enjoy. So do you remember the, the moment that I told you about your numbers? Um, no, actually I don't. <laughs> Because I remember for me, it was this incredible moment of understanding about you because you're not just a nine life path, you're a nine life path, a nine name number, which is, you're like the perfect guinea pig for talking about this archetype of the humanitarian. And for our listeners, you know, I grew up in a household where politics and talking about the state of the world was, it was a common topic. It was always really important to you. Mm -hmm. Were you born that way? Yes. What's your earliest memory of being the open-hearted, world-level empath humanitarian? I I think it was a process that took place uh, slowly over, over time. So... I can I can point out uh, points in time that I still remember where it was uh, a big deal, um, but I think it was really traced back to both of my parents were a very uh, uh, they they dealt a lot with being fair, fair with uh, myself and my two brothers and with society in general. I know my dad was uh, one of the first people to. Uh, really embrace um, desegregation, and he hired as a uh, an employee of the federal government. He hired a lot of um, African Americans, and his employees were mostly African Americans at a time when that was not the case in Washington D.C., which is where we're from. 
So uh, we were white people who grew up in kind of the ghetto, just outside the ghetto areas. So um, I think some of the first memories were we, we went to a Catholic church that was in, in a solidly black neighborhood and there wasn't a... Um, uh, there were only out of a thousand parishioners, maybe there were three or four black people in it. So that was a very stark remind, reminder to me uh, that something was going on here and what was it. Uh, what I'm uh, pointing my finger at is I think my uh, issue with justice, with with humanitarianism, as you, yeah. as you put it, is uh, has a lot to do with a just society and a just world. And to me, that was an injustice. There was something very wrong with it. If you listen to the Gospels and then you looked around you, there were, it was two different realities. But you know what's interesting about this? So you had two brothers, right? Yes. And they, they didn't have that same kind of almost overemphasis on justice and humanity. And, and humanitarianism as as you did, right? Right, and I am seeing that. Uh, I have one friend from that era still, and we were talking about this the other day, and he said that he thought that we, that every, we have a gene that everybody else is missing. It's mm. the compassion gene, and it's just not there in so many people. There's maybe less than 10% of the people who have it. Wow, that's quite a statement. I argued with him, but I, I, I think sometimes that he's right. It's just there or it's not there. You can't teach it. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's not learned uh, by... Yeah, it's not something that's just a, 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 a default message in our society, mm-hmm. right? And... You know, one of the things that's interesting about the nine is nines are idealists, which is a component of your superpower. It's like your ability to see the best in people and be a true utopian. But that kind of segues into the pain of being a nine, like why it's hard to be a nine. True. Yeah, there's definitely two sides to it. And I'm feeling pretty good right now. But when I talked too early today, I really was down in the dumps. Um, But uh, as an example, a little bit of what I'm talking about is when I was 13, 14, I had a summer job as a a laborer on a construction site because I was unskilled at the time. It was probably the first thing I did. And uh, because of that, I was uh, just a common laborer, and I worked with black people. And I was very unusual because I was a white kid working with black people. It, in, in that era, like in, in 1950-something, early 50s in, um, in Washington, D.C., that didn't happen. And uh, one day all the black laborers put their shovels down and I asked them why. And, and they started to walk towards up the hill towards uh, the street where there was a bus line and they were all going to get on a bus and go downtown. 
and um, and they were going to hear see Martin Luther King um, and him give his um, I have a dream speech and I put my shuffle shovel down and went with him and uh, I ended up maybe 15 feet away on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial uh, listening to Dr. Martin Luther King. You were right up front. Right up front. And I think it's, a, it's you have to have a, a combination of being brave and being compassionate. And that's what uh, gets things done. And that's what it means. You, there's a lot of people who intellectually will um, feel something or know something is right or something is wrong, but there are very few people who actually do something about it, who put themselves out there. That's been the biggest, um, the biggest element of almost anger that I've seen for you in the time I've known you is that people don't stand up and go do something about it. Yeah. You've voiced that a lot. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your time in the Marine Corps? Because this is a story that I think is, it illustrates how you truly are a superhero. I think that we don't see how special we are and that the decisions that we make are unique. You made a very unique decision in a time when the masses weren't making this decision. Right? So you joined the Marine Corps and then the Vietnam War erupted. Well, actually it already started and I was going to get drafted because I had left college and my draft deferment had gone. Um, so I enlisted because I thought I was going to get um, pilot training and uh, ended up in a avionics uh, course in Memphis, Tennessee and had time to reflect on what was going on. Before that, I had no political consciousness and um, I was there for a year and um, I eventually came to the conclusion that if I had been born in Vietnam, I would have been a Viet Cong fighting for independence from these invading forces. So I thought that it wasn't right to go kill these people uh, and decided that I was a conscientious objector. And because of that, I uh, went to prison for th uh, three years. When you go back to that moment when you decided to be a conscientious objector, mm -hmm. how hard was that? Because you talked about courage being a really important component of being a humanitarian, right? Courage, compassion, taking action. What, <laughs> how did you make that decision, like that night? Do you remember? Uh, no, I don't. I, it happened gradually over a period of months. I definitely do remember walking into the office of the colonel that was in charge of our unit and taking off my uniform and putting it on his desk. <laughs> and uh, so that started everything going. And then, of course, they were going to court-martial me. And the first three defense attorneys that were appointed for me quit 
two of them left the Marine Corps because they knew I was right. It, what, there was so much going on at, at the time. But see, this is the outside of me, so it was difficult. What was the decision I had to make? What was the what, you're you're looking for the point? It's that, it it's the extraordinary moment that most people don't take that don't have that nine superpower, mm-hmm. where you're willing to sacrifice something for a higher cause. That you ha- you were born with this innate set of ethics that many people we're not born with. We, it's, it's why the nine is known as the wise old soul, like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. It's that archetype. It's such an extraordinary moment. I just, I'm, I'm wishing that I could be in your being when you make that decision. Uh, to trace it back, I would have to say that it, a lot of my life has been, um, uh, devoted to not getting trapped in other people's uh, realities and that was very strong in my back, in, in, in my upbringing um, took a lot of work it was uh, wasted a lot of energy and time to do that I wish there had been a um, uh, a, a figure um, Somebody a to role turn model, to. kind of hmm? a role model. Yeah, a role model yeah. or a mentor mm-hmm. who I could have turned to that said, "If you do this and this and this, that um, it, this is what you, this is what will be good for you." But it wasn't there at the time, and so I spent a lot of time just saying, "No, no, no, this is not the way." I can remember shaking hands with Dean Rusk, the Secretary of State, because I was in a special program. And all I knew was there was something wrong with the whole shtick, and I wasn't going to get pulled and sucked into it. And so that was a whole a lot of energy that was wasted, and yet I was right in that um, he was one of the architects of this. The U.S. is going to rule the whole world, and we're going to go kill people that gets anybody gets in our way. Um, so that was right, but um, there was so much wasted energy in that. Um, I, uh, because of uh, what, where everything was going with my two brothers and how they ended up in the uh, kind of privatized uh, military bomb-making uh, apparatus of this country, um, you know, that's where everything at home was leading to. And um, I was going to make sure that I didn't go down that road. And consequently, I spent a lot of time uh, by myself or alone in the woods or walking to school or running to school. Instead of taking the, um, the school bus, I just would go off on my own and do it, not getting too... Uh, not getting involved or sucked into the different cliques in high school that you were a, a bookworm or a, a jock or a science nerd or uh, in in drama or uh, music or so I was into all those things but I never solidly locked into that reality and it was that kind of independence and curiosity that brought me to the point where I would always look at something um, 
from a critical standpoint. Critical thinking is so important. Being able to think independently, to question values. I, I can remember in school, I was uh, alternately, you know, a straight A student and failed at everything. What do you <laughs> Depending mean? Depending on, well, I mean, literally, <laughs> that's what happened. Um, you know, one semester, quarter, whatever they used. Um, I would get straight A's and then I would become disinterested or in something else and I would fail and there'd be all these, you know, um, conferences, etc. But You it, never allowed yourself to get hooked in yes. to something to the point where your identity yes. became dependent on it. Exactly. Mm. And um, I can remember saying, you know, I don't understand, you know, raise is, will anybody, can anybody answer that question? And I would raise my hand and say, I really don't understand the question. I'm, you know, and I <laughs> soon would realize that nobody else did either, but nobody would, would raise their hand and admit it. And I learned so much by doing that and having it explained to me, not because I was stupid, because I didn't know where they were coming from, what they were looking for, um, etc. You know, you said something earlier I want to go back to really quick. Yeah. You said, uh, like, at a certain point, you realized that nobody was going to be that. There was no role model or, or mentor who could be that figure for you. And I've heard that from so many nines. It's unreal. It's like... Their, their lives truly begin when they realize that the person that they're most looking for, that they feel is most missing, that it pains them and disillusions them that they're not here in this world, that they just have to make themselves that person. Yes. It's true. How has this idealism and humanitarianism been a superpower in your life? How has it created magic in your life? I suppose the magic comes when you're able to, when you're able to um, look at things critically, and you have a knowledge of what things really are. That you're able to uh, dissect situations uh, to the point where it, that most people would which most people can't do. I so I suppose that gives you knowledge that other people might not have. I wouldn't call it a superpower as much as, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. So uh, the blessing is that you, hopefully you're hooked into the right thing, and the curse is that um, a lot of people don't want you to be there or do that. What, what do you mean when that first part you said being hooked into the right thing? Well, if, you're, if your motivation is good and pure, um, then good things come out of it and good things can happen. Be you know, one of the things you've said to me throughout my life is your biggest regret was that you didn't get involved in your cause and your passion earlier on. Mm. And so that's why I, I kind of was curious about that statement of be hooked into the right thing. Well, uh, with so many things, um, there's a monetary um, penalty for doing what you think is right because kind of the world wants you not to do that. The world wants you to go along with 
the sales quota of the month or what the corporation you're working for is what their goals are. And they don't have you, the same agenda as a no, nine mind. Yeah, and, and, and so you end up having to move on. You don't get promoted you, or you're fired or you never get that job in the first place. So there's a penalty. You really have to have a lot of... Um, integrity uh, to stand up for what you think is right and to do it and do it well enough so that you make um, a, you can make a living without it without by going around something I can remember getting told to move on to another job and I was pretty high up by a boss who said that um, he didn't want me around because I couldn't be bought off by money I was not motivated by money and he didn't know what to do with people that were like that because he used money for everything and he was very successful um, but um, I'm not motivated by money and 95% of the people on this planet are so you could say that the nine has been a superpower in your life in a way where you are are free from the shackles of that. Yes. Something else matters to you. Yes, but there's there's certainly a a penalty to be paid for it too. Do you think that's true? Yes. Yeah, I know it is. What's the penalty? It's um, it's it's hard to be. Uh, this is. This is no place, this is no country for um, old people with no money. So it's, it's, it's really tough. And um, I, I think if you're very smart and you make very wise decisions, you can be successful and be an, an ethical person, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen by accident. It happens only by planning things out. So... Um, you know, uh, being a nine is not all good. In fact, very little of it is good. I mean, if you can think of some of the people who have done wonderful things. Um, Gandhi. Very, Gandhi was a nine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't Teresa. remember how he died. Was he assassinated finally? I don't remember. He was certainly revered. And, and Cesar Chavez and, and uh, Che Guevara. I mean, we could on and on and on and on. I think to 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 say that it's uh, it, it's magical and it has a superpower. I suppose. How did Gandalf die? You were mentioning Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings, you know, was written by uh, Tolkien uh, in the 1930s as a uh, a precursor to um, World War II, and he saw the rise of fascism, the dark forces in the East that were rising, and this is how people could rise up and fight that power and that they had to do that so <laughs> you can say gandalf was a had magical powers but uh i think he might have fallen into an ab- abyss and, and burned in hell <laughs> i mean it really isn't that the story oh and he was resurrected this is authentic Maybe. john anastasio he, he this came is great. back yes <laughs> But you do the right thing, and I think that's what's important. Um, and and the, good, the good things that come out of it, or knowing that, that that's the case. I think my best friend 
in these parts right now is 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 a guy who works for a uh, religious organization that helps people who are homeless and he is so real and he's so there doing it and he does it for the love of humanity that um, we're pretty close friends and it's it's that's the only really goodness that comes out of it is being around people like that well, knowing that you're kind of doing the right thing that you're doing the right thing yeah. and what I've heard Nine say is the love of humanity is very important mm-hmm. because Nines can actually become the most intolerant and hateful people because the disillusionment is so great. Yeah. Right? And so um, what I've experienced is Nines thrive when they truly energize that love for the good that's in people because yeah. we can go down the other path where we where we believe more in the the evil in people and then the other thing that i want to bring it back to is that nines thrive when they allow themselves to pursue what matters most to them i i have that's seen very wise observation that's well i've true. seen so because i have a nine name number so you and i you and i have this superpower in common and over and over again, I've seen nines be depleted and, yeah. um, and disillusioned and depressed and perhaps even intolerant when they didn't, when they let society, the society that they're in, um, somehow lead their way into the future. So mm. nine is a number of leadership and Gandhi even has this quote, um, be the change that you wish to see in the world. It's so difficult because it's a type of leadership that's a rather solitary leadership at first. Because it means if you're disappointed in somebody that you meet on the street or your boss or a family member, it means that you have to, as a nine, go within yourself and, and actually remind yourself that you need to be that person. Like you need to be the person with compassion or you need to be the person that um, confronts your anger or confronts your sadness. It's interesting because nine is is known as a a superhero that can traverse into darkness but come back out. So nines can go into the dark forest. They can go and, and meet up with very, very dark experiences but still access the light. And that truly is an incredible ability that you don't get swallowed by the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> what was coming up for you there? You had a look on your face. Well, um, I remember when I was in prison at Portsmouth, the Naval Penitentiary, uh, I was the uh, publisher of the prison newspaper and head of the Penal Press Exchange, which is all the prison newspapers in the country. You can do a little activist work there. And so I learned a lot about the rules of the place I was staying in, being held in. And one of the things is you could attend, you had one hour to attend a religious service of your choice every week. And so I decided to become a Buddhist. So I mailed the Buddhist Association of America, I think it was called at the time in San Francisco, and they sent me a whole bunch of material, and I spread the word around. 
that we could we were going to meet on the cell block floor on Sunday morning at nine, and we didn't have any idea what to do, and so the guards would be out there, and we just sat in a circle and held hands and <laughs> chanted, I don't know, something, and it so upset the whole um, authority structure in, in this prison uh, that um, it, one of, it was one of the things that led to me being released after, after three years. Because you and, were stirring the pot. Oh my God! And they were they were scared. They were so scared they didn't know what to do. So that was quite a coup to speak of. And but the damage that was done to me, that I, especially looking back from that whole uh, situation, was uh, I, I got burned. I got singed um, from that experience. I wouldn't recommend that anybody do it like that. Why? Well, it took its toll. Um, you know, I was tortured, uh, went on a hunger strike, was force-fed, um, solitary confinement for a month. I certainly remember getting, instead of one piece of cornbread for dinner, two pieces of cornbread or for, uh, for Christmas, Christmas Day, and then having one of my best friends killed by going, trying to go over the fence and leave. He just said, I'm, I'm going home. And uh, he was blown away. So, I mean, all those things add up to, to the, the very dangerous, uh, this very dangerous situations for individuals who are caught up in it. Uh, you, yeah, so that's getting a little too close to the, to the bad, evil, dark, dark side of, of people. What would you say to a nine who's listening uh, I say it to everybody, all, all the, num- the numbers and numerology, to uh, you, can be, you can do the right thing, you can be very successful, you, you can uh, be loved by everybody, but you have, to, you have to be smart, you have to do the smart thing. And you have to, nothing comes easy, you have to work hard, and you really have to plan it, plan it out and, uh, and, and be smart about about things and if you do that you'll you can be very successful and very happy and so don't just go off willy-nilly and uh, do these things because you get a a bee up your bonnet well well it's interesting uh the nine is known as one of the most dramatic and passionate numbers um in relationship nines are the poets they're like throwing the the rocks at window panes Really, And the reason why I bring that up is what I just heard from you is it's, imp- it's imperative that you don't get so lost in that cause and doing the right thing that you forget about your own well-being. Right, yes. That Not you sacrifice your own well-being. You've got to be in it for the long haul. And, and also, also there's the knowledge that it, it, we could live in a wonderful world and uh, all the time, uh, but we have to get together to do good things. It takes a lot of work, constantly. It's there's there's no, it's not a surprise that that bad things happen and there are bad people. Uh, you you constantly have to make sure that things are are right, or they go bad pretty quick. <laughs>
do you remember when the Sandy Hook shootings happened? Mm-hmm. And you and I and Cammy, my daughter, we were in a hotel in Portland. I remember. I remember we were in Portland. Mm-hmm. And I was so upset about this. And this is, and, and to you guys listening, this is the brilliance and the wisdom of a nine, okay? I asked you, Dad, how do you deal with this? How are you not in shambles on the floor? All these children died. Because the lower function of the nine idealist is unicorns and sunshine. And you can't function there. You, you can't live there. And you said, uh, there are some bad apples. You said, there's, there's bad people. There's people that do bad things. And you have to just know that that's just a part of it. And you said, you said this. You said, I'm quite frankly surprised there's not more of them. You confronted the darkness. You let it be there, and that means you can get to work. Because your next comment was, this is why mental health professionals, why, why funding needs to be going into treating people with mental oh, exactly. illness. Right? Exactly. Instead of, you know, when, when we took our trip to uh, Denmark and Sweden, the biggest um, inspirational uh, observation that I had was that this is what happens. This is what society is like when you put your money into helping people instead of building warplanes. You know, the trains had each train in the middle. The middle car was a, a, a play area for kids. There were daycare centers everywhere. They put it all, you know, they put their money in social services for people. There will always be people who are crazy and this and this and this. But we have a society where you just let people go wrong and in other societies they take care of people it takes a village to take you know to make make a healthy village and um yeah that you don't ignore the darkness and it could be and that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from because if you've been to these great places um whether it's here in a commune or in a foreign country where you see things are done differently um you have to let other. You have to tell other people that another world is possible. It is. It's not going to happen if you're sitting back on your ass and not doing anything about it. But if people work together, it will change. It will change overnight. See, that was that was that that's superpower right there. Yeah. It's it's knowing and and seeing the impact that one person can have mm-hmm. if they connect their heart to a worthy cause. And it's not just one person, it's all of us collectively. Separately, you, you have to work as a, as a unit. One person can't do everything. I mean, you can be an inspiration, but you have to work together as a group. So how are you doing on time? I've got a couple more questions. Go, go Okay. Do you have any advice of how to work in a group? And this is particularly for nines because nines can sometimes have a difficult time working with other people. Mm-hmm. What have you learned? Well, I'm really not very... I, I don't have those social skills. Uh, they're not well developed. I've been told that by other people. I would say work to, to get those social skills. What do you think is the, the greatest obstacle to overcome there? Within the group, it helps to be non-judgmental which for some of us is a little tough. <laughs> I'm smiling because that's a, a, a big hurdle for every nine. Yeah. If you can see the best in people, you can also see the worst. 
the Pygmalion effect, the Gollum effect? Mm. You know, I'm a little short on responses to your question. No, no, you're, you're doing great. <laughs> okay. Well, I'd say get, get some formal training. There are groups and people, individuals, seminars, etc., who can help us with those things. And I think we all need that, no matter what number you are. When are you at your best? When I'm able to let go of the negativity and be positive, to, to be, to ch- when I choose to be happy, I'm at my best. And that's a saying I had um, started five or six years ago. I seem to have lost it recently. You put it but, on your voicemail. I remember yeah, every time I called yeah. you. That, that it's actually a choice that you make to be happy. I, I can remember um, uh, looking at a puddle of water that was completely black <laughs> and having this epiphany that um, there was nothing happening, nothing go- going on here, no uh, information that was coming to me. And yet I thought depressing bad thoughts. And it was obvious to me then that they were coming from inside my head that it was it was um and i was choosing to do that and that you could also choose to be happy to be positive it's an actual physical choice that we all make it's not fake it's just to accentuate the positive choose to not foolishly choose to but intelligently choose to be positive and it makes a huge difference. What a great point. Because if you're going to be an activist, you you have to acknowledge what's really going on, mm-hmm. which nines can get stuck in that phase. That's where you go into the downward spiral. And then choose to be happy in, in that you're choosing to focus on the solution. Right, you're choosing to to feed the good. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's about doing both. You can't just do one. See, I've been doing the second step my whole life. I haven't been doing the first one. The second one of just be happy, but don't acknowledge what's really going on. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is so important to to know that your car is stuck in the mud. So you, <laughs> you can, can do something about it. You can think all the happy... You can sit around in a circle and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's not going to get your car out of the mud. You actually have to admit it's stuck in the mud and you have to get it out of the mud, which can be done. And then you have a great rest of the day as you go down the road. I like that analogy. So uh, a little bit further on that question, when are you at your best? Is there a daily routine that puts you into that place of choosing to be happy? Bicycling does help for me, uh, help me for many reasons. It's, It's just what I enjoy doing. It's fresh air. It gets rid of uh, a lot of the negativity. There's many physical aspects to it because of my unique physiology that uh, come into play. Um, So that helps. Can't think of anything else, which is probably my problem because I haven't been too happy lately. But maybe that'll change. If you could take a wild guess of why you're not happy, 
<laughs> Could you tell me? Oh my god. Because <laughs> <sighs> oh. nines are so well, wise. Well, it was those darn Democrats who chose to ignore the Bernie people and live in this world of of uh, deceit and so, hell see, <laughs> and that are ruining hey, the guys, country. This is, this is the, the so lower there's a little, of the nine. There's a little clue about who I am. <laughs> this is something and, I love and, about and, uh, about you and about and what, nines. And what so time passionate. is it? Is it 1220? And I just heard that the, the Republicans passed the american health act or whatever the hell they call it and uh it's like there's going to be so many people who suffer and die because of it and that's not an exaggeration so we can bury our heads in the sand or we can do something about it it's up to you that was the perfect moment right there <laughs> that was that was just there's no way that i could have generated that on my own of pulling out exactly what you know excuse my french but just screws up a nine from being happy is is the the general distaste and an existential disillusionment with the state of the world <laughs> and that we had to do something about it okay one last one last topic here love and relationship it's a big passion of mine and our superpowers are really paramount in our relationships so what do you think it's like to be in a relationship with an idealist and a humanitarian? I found it to be really nice. <laughs> I liked it. What's it like for people to be in relationship with you? It can be really nice, and it can also be uh, troubling and a pain because um, the things that I... Th th do and the realities that I talk about um, are many times not wanted by other people who are into different things so th and that can be a problem and it can force me to choose to either deny reality or to just be quiet and let things happen so that there aren't people other people aren't upset would you say it doesn't work out it never works yeah. out it's just a matter of time so it's important to you to have a partner that's involved in your cause. Yes. Although that's that's a very simplistic way to look at it. It, it gets a lot more complicated than that. But it, it's, a, it's a good start to a relationship is to have commonality between people to enjoy. If you don't enjoy what you're doing and with another person, then how are you ever going to be happy? It's like, where are our people? What are we doing? What do we, what do we like to be around? And you have to, I think, find out who that other person is. And if you're both on the same wavelength, it can be absolutely marvelous. If you're not, there's big trouble. <laughs> I don't think that was a very good response. No, that is really good. Um, I might edit this out if it's yeah. too personal. But well, why do you think that you and mom broke up? if you can think about it in the context of this conversation. Well, you can do that, or you can pay attention to the obvious, something that somebody who we both knew once said, um, because she took the scissors and cut the electric cord to the TV that I said couldn't be in your room until you finished your homework. 
<laughs> so I cut the I cut the cord so you couldn't use it, and that was it to her. I was that was an act of violence, which which is what she said that I was violent and. You know, obviously that wasn't the real problem. There was other things, but that certainly caused it. That's a, it's a good enough description of the differences between us. I didn't think it was a good idea for you to watch television every night while you were in high school. And she didn't care. So that cycles back <laughs> to, to why your initial, your initial response was really poignant. Yeah. Because for a nine broad subjects are personal to you yes and i think there's something something else going on which is that paying attention to the obvious i've made money off that you know i stayed alive because of that i was um uh, i was paid to tell other people um the the, the obvious that they didn't see as, as a newspaper editor, reporter, investigative reporter, as a uh, department head to keep the city manager apprised of everything that was happening in the city. It was just that uh, sometimes the obvious, what was obvious to me is not obvious to many other people. And not to judge it, it's just their head wasn't in the same space and mine was always kind of out there. Well, and see, that that's so perfect yeah. because when you cut that TV cord, to you, it was an obvious value that you were holding steadfast to. To somebody else who isn't as passionate about that subject, it, it's like they don't understand it. I think that this is one of the, the things that people need to know if they're in a relationship with a nine, is that what a nine is passionate about is something that trickles into the household. It's like it's a part of everything that you do. So if you're... That's, that's a good way to put if it. If you're a Buddhist, yeah. you know, your Buddhism is going to show up in your parenting and your relationship. If you're a political activist, I mean, I remember at the dinner table, every night it was politics or yelling at the TV screen when you were watching the evening news right? And it was, it's a huge part of who you are. And, and you know what? It's a huge part of what makes you lovable. And if you're with a person who can't see the value of that passion and even ride that wave with you, it can be, uh, it can be a little difficult. Yeah. I don't understand that, but I hear you. <laughs> what don't you understand? You don't understand. It can be in- difficult. I, I wouldn't. To me, it would be exciting and stimulating. Well, of course it would, because that's your language. But you're, if you're if you're with a different number, like mom's a number one, her whole like the way that she sees reality, it's all about her being independent, being an inventor, being an, an innovator. It's it's almost like her. She's here to self actualize, which which is very. Starkingly different from you, right? So this is why I think this work is so important is because, you know, people can get a divorce and think that there was something wrong with them when there wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was just that you were with a person who did not understand your genius. I'm staring at those clouds over there that are building up. There's a thunderstorm. Stratocumulus clouds that are coming and the Storm Prediction Center says... 
we very well could get hit, and they're about right. This doesn't happen very often in uh, Oregon, so it's interesting. So I think so now's, now's a good time to end the interview yeah. before the thunderstorm hits. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You know, I loved hearing that alongside my father's incredible wisdom and life experience, he still has an honest and authentic struggle with that nine superpower of utopian vision. He still asks himself, could it be a curse that I care so deeply, that I want something more for the world, but I don't know if it's possible and I don't know if it can be realized. He's not alone in this crisis. All nines experience it. Even Mother Teresa, a fellow nine life path humanitarian, she struggled with her own passion, her own cause. In her private journals released after her death, she revealed that she did have moments of deep communion with Christ, but she told behind closed doors her spiritual confidants that she had spans of time when she questioned even the existence of God. She felt alone and abandoned by her own calling. It is through confronting what is missing that nines become what they're meant to be. So here's what I want to leave you guys with today. Don't be afraid to acknowledge what's going wrong to enter the dark forest, to confront the evil or darkness. That is a supernatural component of the number nine. But also, don't be afraid to them become what is right. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to the podcast, comment, and if you want some one-on-one coaching, check out the show notes for details on how to schedule a session with me. I'll talk with you guys next week.